Hey, welcome back to Pigeonal Hockey. This is Chris, and today's co-host, Sebastian. Hello, hello. And you know us, we're just a goalie and a goon that have taken one too many pucks or fisted ahead and do not claim to be hockey experts, but simply overzealous hockey fans that love to play, watch, read, and talk about hockey. So be sure to follow us on Twitter to let us know what you think, and also be sure to comment and share any hockey games, news, or videos we should cover in an upcoming podcast. So Sebastian, on today's podcast... We would like to welcome uh, or introduce our special guest, the head coach and president of hockey operations for the NAHL's Northeast Generals, Brian Erickson. Brian, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, guys. And I'm glad we're doing this on Skype. It's enough with the Zoom, right? Like I've never done Skype in 25 <laughs> years, so it's, it's all electric that we're getting rid of the Zoom. Forget that. Honestly, there's one of... One of the reason, main reasons I decided to record on Skype is because, yeah, all my work meetings were on Zoom and I just can't handle another. If I hear that tone... From Zoom, yeah. I'll just I'll just close the computer. I'm done. <laughs> yeah, it's it's, <laughs> but, it's I, this is my first Skype ever, so I'm I'm uh, I'm very excited to uh, you know maybe we can take down Zoom just one one podcast at a time. Let's do it. Let's absolutely do it because uh, you know what <laughs> Skype is the way to go. And welcome to Skype. But uh, thanks yeah, for taking the time to jump on. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. So let us know a little bit about yourself and your hockey life. Yeah. So you know I'm. I'm an older guy, right? I'm 45. Uh, been involved and around the game since, you know, since I was, you know, a little guy. And I've been coaching for about 20, 26 years or so. Um, you know, I played, uh, you know, public high school here in, in Massachusetts. It's, you know, decent hockey at the time. And then I went up to prep school up in New Hampshire, uh, Holderness, and had a really good experience there. And I uh, went to Babson College uh, here in, in, in Massachusetts. And, and then after that, kind of, got started, um, you know, working for, for real and coaching. And, you know, my dad has a hockey camp, uh, hockey plus it's been going on for, uh, I think we're in year 49 and it's been sold out every year. And I've been coaching there for forever. And, you know, he introduced me to the game. He was my first coach and, you know, obviously love the game. So I started coaching pretty early, you know, after, after college and, and uh, starting U18s and, you know, U16 at the tier one level. And then, you know, got into junior hockey about seven years ago. And, you know, my I got my oldest is at college. He, he stopped playing around freshman year of high school. And, and my youngest is uh, he's going to be a second year U16 with my uh, Northeast Generals, Generals Academy program. So it's fun. You know, I get to go to the rink every day. My dad actually teaches in my academy. So it's kind of a family affair here. It's really nice. It's uh it, it beats real work. You know, I did real work for a long time as a teacher, and uh, and I can tell you that uh, coaching is way better. I can imagine. So what, with it being at 49 years, you have something planned for, like, year number 50? <laughs> Probably not. My dad's, like, the, the most humble guy ever, and, like, we've had, like, a million NHL guys come through. It's really a camp for, like, fun. Like, I know it's a crazy word in hockey, um, but, like, it's – hockey plus and you do like two hours of ice you play like kickball and dodgeball and you go swimming and you know it's like a full day camp where you do a bunch of different things and i've actually helped translate you know that was some of the stuff that was missing from from when i when i played was you know coaches that would actually allow you to have fun you know and and i've tried to take that you know into my coaching style the most you know is tried to learn that from my dad it's like you know there's a time and place to yell and there's a time and place to be serious but we're not in the army, you know, we're not, we're not curing cancer here. We're, we're playing hockey. So let's laugh a little bit. Let's have some fun. Let's joke and get guys that look forward to coming to the rink every day, get better a lot faster than guys that are nervous or afraid to come to the rink. And we, we also create a culture here. And, and I tried to do this when I was a teacher too, of like people being 
afraid to fail is such a bad way to go through life. Like, let's embrace the failure and learn from it and, and, and just move on, move through it, figure out what we did wrong, how we can get better. And, you know, ultimately, I don't think my dad's learned any lessons in his 49 years because he's, he's still unwilling to, cel- <laughs> unwilling to celebrate the fact that we're going into year 50 ish and you know and we had you know maddie veneers you know went to our camp for seven years and it'll be a top five pick and you know ted donato went to our camp a billion years ago he's a coach, head coach at harvard and you know he doesn't celebrate those things he just looks at it like as long as they had fun and they were they had a good time at camp then that was great for me i'd be screaming it from the rooftops and i guess i just did <laughs> yeah there's nothing wrong with the show there i mean obviously that's that's an amazing camp pushing out that many players and it, and it just shows i mean i think the biggest thing in in hockey, even when I'm coaching, you know, my kids, it's, it's just have fun. Um, like you said, you gotta learn to fail before you learn to, to succeed, right? And the, the players who have only had success going through, you can tell when, you know, something happens, I'm up in the road, they're ready to quit. But if, you know, if you're, if you're pushing fun on them, I mean, you, you get players like that who, you know, will take it and make it a career because they've just had fun their entire life with it. Absolutely. And that's, that's, that's the number one reason why myself and my ownership group, Rich O'Dowd and Bob Penfield, why we started the Northeast Generals, we wanted to do something a little different than everybody else. You know, it's still, it's the same. It's six of one, half dozen of another in a lot of cases. But the, the difference here is it's the kid first, the hockey player second. And and we genuinely believe that, you know, and I, and I think uh, some of our biggest successes are, you know, like I got a picture yesterday from a kid that I can't believe it, but he was in a military uniform. Like he just graduated. I'm like, wait, I'm like, how is this kid protecting our country? But, you know, at the same time, you're like, wow, like that's, really impressive that's as impressive as you know a kid playing in the nhl or playing college hockey or you know doing whatever you have kids that are going to choose a billion different paths you know and ultimately we're celebrating the kid and hopefully we had some impact on them becoming a better person and maybe they love the game and they'll pass that love on to their own kid or to their nephew or niece or whatever right and and we can grow the game together so you know it's it's pretty exciting the impact that you can have as a coach as a podcast host as anybody that talks about hockey you can have a pretty big impact, and, and that's what we're trying to do here in Northeast. Yeah, I mean, I'm glad you kind of brought up different paths because, you know, it kind of leads me into a question I had here. So, you know, you, you've just said you've had you know, over two decades of coaching experience, uh, but you also had a decade as a math teacher. So my question is, which one's more challenging? Well, my, my math teaching career is a little different than most. So <laughs> I, did, uh, I did three years uh, in public school, and I found out I hated the nerds. Um, and I didn't hate them for the, for the reason that everybody else does. Like my son, my oldest son is a big nerd and, it, and thank God because it makes school a lot cheaper for college. And, uh, but I felt like it was not a challenge in teaching them and, you know, meaning I could kind of just put a tape recorder up and the kids would take notes and do well. So I, I pivoted pretty drastically. I went to youth jails in the inner city and started teaching in full lockdown facilities for kids that were, you know, pretty heavy offenders and, you know, a population that was, you know, different than kind of my lily white upbringing here in Marshfield, Massachusetts on the South shore of, uh, you know, near the Cape. And, and, uh, I did that for about nine years and, in, in, in full lockdown. And I loved every minute of it. I mean, it was challenging. It was hard. You had kids throwing punches and spitting and doing whatever. But at the end of the day, I got to make more of an impact there. Um, I felt, and I thought that that was probably the most challenging and rewarding job I've ever had, you know, and, and, and then you kind of transition it to hockey where, you also have a little bit of a captive audience, a little different type of captivity. Um, but the idea is that the kids can 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 kind of choose, you know, to follow you or not follow you and listen and decide what to want, what they want to do. Do they want to get better? Or do they not? And in the jail systems, when I was teaching, it was it was similar. You know, we got a big buy in um, from kids that had 
you know, little to no education, uh, little to no support. And that was a challenging job. And, and, and God bless the people that still do it. Nine years is, was enough for me. It was uh, too many. The lows are really, really low. And, you know, not to bring the podcast down, but, you know, kids dying and, you know, just different things that, you know, you don't, you don't, you, it puts everything in perspective. And, and so then when I finally transitioned to kind of a mid range where kids that would not last in a regular public high school and they get like expelled, they come to us in another building and that wasn't locked down. These are just kind of like kids that thought they were tough. And, you know, <laughs> I just laugh. Um, and, you know, they're tougher than me, but they, they weren't really that tough considering compared to the jail kids. And we got to start to affect that. And, and that was a lot of fun. And, and then I started transitioning as I was able to make, let's put it this way. Wasn't making a lot as a teacher, wasn't making a lot as a hockey coach, was able to cover my costs or my expenses by coaching hockey full-time. So I transitioned and I, I loved teaching. It gave me a lot of, uh, I think a lot of the good qualities I have as a coach. I still have a lot to learn and get better at as a coach, but I think it gave me a lot of the patience and the listening and the, and the teaching aspect that, you know, hopefully carries over. Well, it sounds like you've definitely acquired a lot of, a lot of skill set from not only teaching the math, but going into the jail system there and then teaching the youth there math. And also you'd mentioned the the kid you're surprised that it's helping protect our country, but me as an ex-military guy and and such, and and you said that the highs and the lows there, finding that pursuit and finding that passion is is kind of critical, and that's that's what took me down my sports degree and and eventually into this podcast. So it's really cool that you've been able to have those experiences and actually you know have a pretty big impact on on, on individuals' lives at every level, not only in hockey but in the school system and the jail system. So nothing is as, as unbelievable as a soldier. And, you know, I've, I've had kids in army at West Point and, you know, kids that have entered the Marines and done things that are pretty unbelievable. Um, you know, and to me, um, more people that can share their path to hockey, whether it's coaching, whether it's talking about it, whether it's writing about it, playing, it doesn't matter, but more people that can share their path can affect other people. Like I, I talk about, you know, I've, I'm an alcoholic. I haven't drank in 12 years. And I only bring that up because I talk about that with my kids because it's, once again, we talk about failures. We talk about what gets us to this point. You talked about being in Afghanistan and, you know, helps you uh, make some life choices that, you know, you kind of wanted to do something a little bit different. And, you know, I did the same thing, you know, about 12 years ago. I'm like, you know what? Like, I like what I'm doing, but I'm not doing it the way that I want to do it. I'm not accomplishing what I want to accomplish. I'm not really maximizing this life, this, you know, this small little slice that we get here. And I want to figure out a way to do it better. Right. And, and ultimately, I always feel like, you know, people that served or people that are drug addicts or alcoholics or people that just have different life experiences, share them. Mental health issues, you know, there's no shame in sharing the, the conversations because it helps maybe that one kid that feels that way. Um, and maybe it doesn't have anything to do with hockey, but you just develop a relationship because you have a commonality of hockey and ultimately end up, you know, hopefully helping that kid in some small way at some point in their life. No, and that's awesome. And, and you know, skill sets definitely have translated because uh, you've won multiple GM of the Year awards between the NA3HL and the NAHL. So what would you consider the key aspects of being a successful GM? Uh, listening, listening to other people. And, you know, I uh, the best move I ever made as a GM was in my first year in the North American Hockey League was firing myself as the head coach. So I, I actually issued a press release saying that Brian Erickson, general manager, fires Brian Erickson, the head coach. And that was probably <laughs> the <laughs> people still laugh because it was like a very serious press release. And I'm supposed to be a, everybody's supposed to take themselves so serious in hockey. And, you know, I just we weren't having success. And, and to be honest, the N.A. was at a level that I hadn't coached at before and I, I wasn't prepared for it. 
Um, they needed a new voice. The team itself was kind of a band of misfits, and I love that group. It's one of the groups that I'm the closest to. Um, and and ultimately, you know, you got to understand what your strengths and your weaknesses are. And I wasn't ready to coach at that level. And I hired a, a Joe Lovell to come in and, and write the ship. And I did a good job, I think, uh, give, getting him some higher quality players. I was able to kind of focus on on that aspect of it. I still assistant coached. And then uh, Joe uh, uh, transitioned to a different role and um, within his own organization. And, and I ended up stepping down as GM this year and hired a, a good friend of mine, Matt Dibble. And you know, what I've kind of learned as being a successful GM, some success as a coach, not as much as I want, is you can serve a couple different people uh, by being okay at a couple different things. But I want to be really good at one thing. You know, I don't want to keep passing, um, you know, being half in. And, and last year with COVID and, you know, basically feeling like a psychiatrist and a doctor and a travel agent and a million different things, I, I felt like I wasn't being good at any job. So I decided to kind of step back. So you know, I was fortunate to have success. But as the GM, I really felt that my job was really just to get players off the coaches coach. And uh, I've been very lucky to have really good coaches for me. And, and now we've got a really good GM that he's putting me in a position coming up that, you know, now I'm going to see if I really am a good coach or not. And uh, it's exciting, but it's, it's, it's interesting and it, it, it will be fun. Yeah, and I think that's a perfect segue talking about, you know, bringing in a GM and just kind of working together. Um, and we, we want to talk, and I'm going to call it the null. So everyone listening, everyone knows Chris loves to call it the NHL. Um, NHL. He's, like an old, he's like an old man. He just likes to he likes to really Damn say it out well. loud so he knows what it is, but uh, <laughs> it's the null. Um, so the null draft was just a couple days ago. Uh, and uh, in the, North, the Northeast Generals picked up uh, two defensemen in Jack Laferriere uh, out of New Jersey, Asher Witz out of Honey Baked, and for Peyton Felix, out of the generals, the NA3HL. That one, I, w- I won't say null3HL. That just sounds weird. <laughs> um, so what attributes did these players display that led them to selections by the generals? Yeah, so Matt Dibble, our GM, um, we did a really, or he did a really good job of acquiring uh, returners and, um, you know, tenders. And, you know, there's different ways you can sign players. They'll get into all the minutia of it. And, and we only were left with, three picks in, in the draft and the way it works in our draft is, you know, you draft to your roster is full. So you have, you know, say 30 players that you need to get to. If you have 20 players protected, you get 10 picks. If you have 27 players protected, you have three picks. You know, I'm using a fake number, but that's the the genesis of it. So we, we went into the draft with, without a lot of, a lot of needs uh, on paper and uh, Jack Laferriere, Laferriere comes from a, a great hockey family. His, his brother, who's an awesome kid, Alex, is you know, drafted by the LA Kings in the third round. He's, he's going to Harvard next year. And um, Jack's an unbelievable kid. You know, I don't know if he's quite ready in 05 to step into the to the NA this year, but you know, there's also something that goes around with loyalty and 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 giving kids opportunities that you love and respect and, and feel like they've been really good for you know Matt Dibble and his Rock City Elite program in the summer. So so the lot went in there. He's big. He's going to be a, a legit legit hockey player. And hopefully he's ready this year. If not, he'll be ready down down the road the, the following year. And then Asher Witz is a defense in 04 that played a you know pretty pretty elite program at Honey Bake that 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 pumps out kids every year. He's just super smooth, great skater. Um, defense was our, was probably our biggest issue last year. We had great goaltending. We had good forwards. Uh, we struggled at times to, to put pucks on tape. And, uh, so getting Asher in here and, and push some competition at camp was huge. And then Peyton Felix, um, you know, our NA3 team, uh, which is where we started. And I started in, as a, as a head coach at the junior level. Um, uh, Daryl Locke, my head coach, done an unbelievable job developing guys. And Peyton started on my U18 team with Eric Crojan. 
then he moved up to our NA3 team under Daryl, and then he got drafted by us, and he's just, he's got an electric speed. Like, he's so fast. He goes, sometimes he actually changes up too quick because he just goes a billion miles an hour for 27 seconds, and he changes up, and your lines get all screwed up. So we got to we gotta work on that, but the effort level and the compete level, you can't, you know, you really can't uh, teach, you know, and, and I always tell kids there's, like, this compete, and there's balls and pardon the language, but those are two things that are really hard for a coach to, to teach. Like kids kind of have them, you can kind of improve them, but it's kind of hard to, to do it. And we got three kids with both of those things. You identify certain kids and you're looking for specific attributes. And I'm actually going to call an audible here. I'm going to skip the question I had already prearranged here. And I'm actually going to reach back to a couple questions. One of these players that reached out to me during the course of me just hosting these podcasts had asked and told him I'd, I'd pass these questions by an NHL coach. Should we get one on? And I'm going to ask those questions right now because he'd be curious as he would like to get into the NHL because I think currently this goalie is about 15 years old. So I don't know exactly what your group that is. I'd have to do math and you might be the math teacher, but I am not a math guy. Oh, six. Uh, so six. Oh, six. So he's probably an 06 goalie here. And so he asked me a couple questions to pass on. And so he asks, yeah. when is the best time to start reaching out to an NAHL team? And is it better to reach out to a team individually or just focus on hitting the combines or both? So I would say it's obviously team dependent, which is a super cop out answer. So for me, I love when kids email me like, hey, coach, I just want to get on your radar. And you know what? I read the email. I usually shoot an email back. Hey, thanks. I'd love to track your progress. And I put them in a folder called future scouting. And I go back in there and look every once in a while. And 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 so I always think that's huge. Um, I think that okay. it's always important. It's always important that the kid is the one emailing you. OK, even if dad or mom writes the email and the kid just signs it, that's fine. But Okay. We want the kid communicating. And then also those combines, you know, once again, tell us you're going to be at the combine. Tell us, you know, why we should, you know, what did you do this year to improve? Um, if you ask for feedback, listen to the feedback and actually work at getting better at it. So then if I send you an email, hey, I loved your game and you need me to work on being more aggressive. You got to work on your glove, et cetera. And then I come back and I watch you again and you haven't gotten better at either one. Then that's kind of a turnoff, right? So it's like, listen to the feedback, take the feedback and actually utilize it. No, that, that's good advice. And went back and forth with this tendy for a little bit because I'm also a goaltender. So I, you know, just kind of gave him I'm like my unprofessional opinion on on what he needed maybe to work on as, as a tendy if he wanted to get noticed by NHL or D1 teams, because I think he has signed a commitment with a USPHL under 16 team. And so I was just telling them the big things to look for, which just listening to you coaches and talking to several of your coaches from Ogden and Rum River and such was basically take the advice given to you by the goalie coach and, and the, the coaching staff, because if if you know what your weaknesses are and you're working on those, that's one of the big things they're looking for, because if they just think that you don't care so much or you're really not fighting for that blue paint, they're not really going to care uh, about signing you because you're not showing the goal or the motivation with which they want to see to take that blue paint and be the starting goal. You can be friends with the other goalies. We're, we're, we're a tight knit group, but that doesn't mean that when I was competing with other goalies for the blue paint, that me were friends, you know, off the ice. But when it comes on the ice, I want the starting job. And so did the other attendees. So it was, a, it was a competition to get that blue paint. And it and, should be. And, and, and for us, like we just had our pre-draft camp and we had a, a dad complain, which once again, I don't like when the parents are involved at the junior level. Listen, I, I have no problem having friendly conversations, but about the hockey part. And they were supposed to switch halfway through the game. You know, it was two goalies on a team. And mm -hmm. one, of the goal, one of the goalies didn't switch. And we were up in the room and, you know, we're kind of talking about it. So the dad came over and complained. And, 
And I looked at the ages and they were the same age. You know, they were they were the exact same, you know, obviously a couple months apart, but same birth year. And I kind of go, I kind of like the kid that didn't let the kid get, get in the net. Like, I, I don't know why, but like something about it was like a little F you mentality. Like, hey, I'm taking the net, come get it. And and I kind of respected it. Like, it's kind of a bad move. But at the same time, like, yeah, like, I'm going to show you that I'm the best guy here. And like, you stood out. Like, listen, the kid started a conversation about himself. I'm not saying being a, you know, doing that is really the right move. But I've had kids come to practice like, hey, coach, when do I go in? I'm like, yeah, I don't know. Like, if my starters don't or my guys don't want to give you the gold grease. Like, I don't know what to tell you. Like, I'm, I'm not I'm not a babysitter. I'm not monitoring. Um, you know, and, and for goaltending, like, I know not, you guys are psychopaths. Like I know nothing about goaltending. I don't pretend, <laughs> I, don't, I don't pretend that I do. And, and, you know, that's why I have a goalie coach. I pay him well to, you know, to evaluate, but ultimately like you talk about fighting for that blue paint, like that's what we want, you know, and, and for us, that compete level, like the fact that you get pissed off when a goal goes in, in warmups, I'm mm-hmm. like, Oh, Jesus, this goalie is an animal. Like the other one that's just like, Hey, like laxing, you know, his hands are going up and down and, He's have, like, it's great. Have fun. Like, but there is something that goes into that psychopath that's in that. You know? And <laughs> yeah. you know, NHL Central Scouting this past year, you know, and and the practice, some of our scrimmages in practice were electric because it was just like they were competing like like and they were like really good friends off the ice. But when it came to those helmets going on at practice, they were there was no giving up the net and they were competing for that ice time whenever the game was that weekend, you know, to be the starter for the first game. And it was awesome to watch. Yeah, and I, I absolutely don't even blame the kid. I mean, like you said, it's, and I'll use, you know, the term that it would use, like, you know, a, a dick move to kind of not yeah. take, you know, but at the same time, it's, <laughs> if you're not going to show me you want the net and you're going to come literally on the ice and take it from me, I'm not going to move. It was the same thing, you know, when I was playing hockey, if I'm getting defensive reps and no one wants to step in, no problem, I'll take the reps. I mean, I'm not, you know, you're not trying to be a jerk, but if you don't want it, don't take it. <laughs> no, I mean, I remember freshman year I, at high school, like a million years ago, I, it was like sprint to the first day of tryouts. And I was, you know, I loved to skate. I was fast. I was like one of my few things I was good at, you know, thinking the game and skating. And I was, you know, winning all the sprints. The seniors are all looking at me like, Hey, calm down. And I'm like, absolutely not. Like this might be my only chance to actually make the varsity team as a freshman is by out competing you guys, you know, and, and, and that's what I have. So you got to use it. And one of the main things I tell any kid that wants to get in the NA, and this includes a goalie, a defense and a forward, being good enough is not good enough. My least favorite thing is a kid that's like, I'm just as good as. Okay, well, okay, so what's the tiebreaker? If you're just as good as, what's the tiebreaker going to be? Did you work harder? Um, do I know you more? Like, did you send me an email? Are you more on my radar? Um, do you need a billet? <laughs> like, are you a 4.0 student or a 2.2 student? Like, so being as good as or just as good as, like, I hate that excuse because it, everything in life and jobs and and, and war and anything that you're going to do is a tiebreaker it comes down to it and what makes you win those tiebreakers that's the ultimate definition winning sprints battling for the crease not giving up the blue paint those are tiebreakers and that's what that's what gets people to that next level to the ushl to the na division one nhl you know etc yeah and, and i'm glad i kind of we got into this discussion because i mean like you know we talk about how you know, your, your players, obviously your friends, you want them to be tight off the ice, but on the ice, it's all about, you know, you still want to compete. You still want to push each other. It's how you get better, which kind of leads me into my next question. So for you, how much and how do you implement your players in both yearly planning, like for their goals and into kind of team building? 
really good question. Like I sent, so after the draft ended yesterday, we've already had a group chat going, you know, for, for, for guys. And, and, you know, I, I sent them our, our systems website, which is, there's a lot of information in there to digest and, you know, kind of separates the, you know, listen, it's not a quiz or anything, but you know, I'll be able to tell, you know, when we hit the ice, like what guys learned it, what guys didn't. Uh, we do a lot of nonsense, you know, like a lot of joking around. I want to see who's participating, who's not participating. Um, we do a ton of off-ice team building stuff. Like last year was tough with COVID, right? Because, you know, we were kind of limited to what we could do. We, I do like egg races. I mean, like legitimately stupid stuff, right? But like fun, like it's funny. And you know, guys building like towers out of like toothpicks and like who can hold the most weight. Like we do a lot of little stuff like that that I think is so important. Um, and it's not just about like everybody's always like, well, if you build this the best, then you're going to be ready. No, okay. Sometimes it's just as simple as, getting kids away from the rink, having some other tasks and now having some fun, like getting cooperative about it. I actually, we had this academy that's going to sound like child abuse, but that's fine. So we have, uh, <laughs> yeah, whatever, uh, you can edit it out. I'm just kidding. So the, um, we have the, we, we have the academy, uh, that we're starting in classroom and, you know, these eight tables came from not Ikea, but, you know, basically like in a million different pieces with like a tiny little Allen wrench to put together. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not doing this. So I was like, hey, guys, we got community service tomorrow. Um, and uh, it's to put together the tables for the classroom. The kids ended up turning it into like a competition of who could put them together the fastest. Right. And, you know, and the one team won and I go in and like the legs are on like upside down and, you know, the table's like literally going to break the first time. But it was so funny to watch like how competitive hockey players are, or just people are in general at anything. And so like all that little stuff, like they actually had fun putting these stupid tables together. But, you know, at the end of the day, like I, anything I can do to create these competitions off the ice and not in like a winner, clear winner, clear loser, but just the camaraderie and the busting of the balls and, the you know, the, 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 the chirping that goes on. It goes so far into buy, the guys buying in, you know, and we've had guys where, you know, there's parties and, you know, you have a guy that doesn't go to the parties and I'll go to him like, hey, listen, like you can go there and just be present, like be with the guys like they need to buy into you as a human, you know, and that's a big part of what you're talking about, Sebastian, is the buying into the human is way more important than buying into as a hockey player. Like, I don't care how good you are. If they're not buying into you as a kid, forget about it. Nobody's playing for you, especially as a goalie. Like, you got to you gotta at least have the boys back and the boys got to have your back. You know, you, you can be good, but if guys don't want to play in front of you, it does, it does bleed out. We are the weirdos on the ice uh, as goalies. And so, oh, yeah. and that's it's really actually very important for the goalies to feel pretty well integrated into the team, especially with your defense. Not so much the forwards, because honestly, I could care less about my forwards. They just need to score the goals. I care about my D-men in front of me and knowing their tendencies, knowing their style, knowing their idiosyncrasies, because some of them are so dumb in front of me, I swear. You know, the guy who doesn't want to throw his body in, but will throw his stick in front of the puck and deflect <laughs> it over my glove. Hey, it's um, goal. It's right. Goal. Get Depends on for sheet. what team, buddy. Get on the sheet. Get on the sheet. <laughs> and but so, you're right. it, you know, and it really is really important. To, <laughs> I hear y'all. <laughs> Us goalies, okay, we're a special breed. We understand it. And we, you know what? I think I think I shine in the fact that I will take a rubber puck at my head at 100 miles an hour and wait, come to and figure out. Why is my whole team standing over me? Because I chose to stand in front of the puck versus shoot it. We're a weird group and we're a tight group, but it is also very critical between goalies, not only to be tight, but 
you really got to be tight with your team there because they're not going to sacrifice for a goalie they don't care about, and they're not going to work hard in front of a goalie that they don't think is competent, truthfully. No, and the other part, when you talk about the defenseman and the goalie, like the special connection there or the hatred, because it's kind of both. Um, it is. is it, you know, listen, and, and I hate goalies and I hate defense and I hate, I hate everybody equally. Um, but the idea for me is that, like, if a goalie is going to have the balls to yell at his defenseman, he better be saving the puck. If my defenseman have the balls to yell at my goalie, they better be eating pucks, right? Like, so there comes a, yep. there comes a, a part of both of that. And that's why for me, like from day one, like when I'm like, hey, guys, okay, we're in this part of the four check. We're running a, you know, a, a two on two. Um, F1's going here, F2 went here, and now the puck goes up. Where's F3 going? I'll look at the goalie. And the goalie be like, yeah, I don't need to know this. I'm like, why? why? Why don't you need to know this? Right? And so for me, it's part of treating the goalie like they're a player and treating the players like they're a goalie, meaning everybody's everybody. Like, we all need to buy in. We all need to understand. Like, face-off plays are just as important for a goalie to understand that they are for the forward and for the D. Like, so my goalie last year, he, he asked me to change some terminology. Right. So when we were when we were killing penalties, he wanted guys to work off of the back post. And we, we just called it something different. It wasn't really a big deal. And it made more sense. Right. He's a he's a euro. And it was like, come off the back post because I'm going to save everything on the short set. OK. OK, perfect. So now we that we've you know put that 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 talk in those that verbiage into our system talks. Um, we've we let the goalies dictate, like, are we going to rim it? We're going to we're going to keep we're going to pat like whatever we're going to do when we play the puck. We let our goalies dictate that, but we got to make sure everybody's on the same page. And it can't just be with the D. It's got to be with the forwards because they might be the first guy back. You know, and, and ultimately, it's got to be that the goalie lets in eight goals, right? It's got to be, hey, mm-hmm. let's pick him up. Because when he lets in zero, it's kind of like, yeah, yeah, he did what he's supposed to do. Like, that's what a goalie's job is, not let any goals in, right? Um, like, I like the joke, you know, it's, no, it's not funny, just so you know. So don't get, don't brace yourself for a really big knee slapper here. Um, is like, Hey, listen, we can't lose if you don't let any goals in. Like, you know, at the end of the day, like, the game starts with you. And they're like, hey, you know, coach, I thought I played pretty well. I was like 2-2. You know, I'm like, yeah, we would have won if you made one more save. Like, you know, and, and it's not a funny joke, but, like, there is some truth to that, that everybody thinks that way about a goaltender, right? And they never think about it as a, about a forward that misses an empty net, right? Like, it's, oh, well, if he had scored that goal, it would have been 3-2. to two. It's, no, the goalie let that in, so now we're down a goal. You know, you made 12 ridiculous saves, but you let that crappy shot in. And, and you know, I live in the world of irrationality where Tuka Rask is vilified, even though he's one of the best goalies in the world, you know, here in Boston. And, you know, and, and it's it's funny to see because for me, the camaraderie and the team aspect, right, there's got to be a full buy-in. You don't all have to be best friends and hang out, but you have to know that the guy next to you is working as hard as you are, if not harder. You know, and that's kind of the mission that we try to accomplish in junior hockey, not just at Northeast. It's a critical aspect as a team. You got to be a team. You can't just call yourselves a team. I mean, you see it at even the professional level. Teams like calling out the auto senators here a couple of years ago. If the team dynamic isn't working, the team's not going to be successful. It doesn't matter what the level is. And sometimes you just got to get rid of a couple of players. And that is as unfortunate as that is, sometimes players also need a new change of scenery. Sometimes a player just isn't working out in the system. And they just need something fresh, something new. I'm a Sabres fan. We're about to lose a few really talented players it's it's what it is and sometimes you just got to make some changes but before we wrap up i do have one final question because yeah. you know i think sponsorship is super critical at the junior hockey organization level and honestly every level up uh would you like to shout out to any of the sponsors that have jumped on for the 21 22 season well we have 
three sponsors that I love, and one's Rock City Elite, which is the, the best summer hockey program around, and they do an unbelievable job run by Matt Dibble. And then the second one, it's kind of a cheap one, but Jersey Mike's, like, listen, it's they feed our team and they feed the other teams after the games. And and then the third one is Pigeonhole Hockey Podcast. How's that one? How's, how's hey! Yeah. And uh, <laughs> listen, I, I love that you guys talk about hockey and, and listen, give guys an outlet to listen to it. And I think guys get better even listening to just – Three idiots, no offense, uh, talk about <laughs> hockey here and uh, and maybe one idiot and two geniuses and tank tops um, talking about, about <laughs> hockey here. Like we're, <laughs> I forgot it's not a video anymore, right? Um, but the idea for me is that I just think that the service that you guys provide, the service that sponsorships provide, like it's such a small part. People think it's so big and it, it just allows everything to be so much easier and, and, and guys to enjoy the game and look forward to coming to the rink. So I thank you guys uh, in particular. And, um, you know, anything you ever need from me down the road, you need a retweet, you need some followers, you know, let me know. I'm, I'm always happy to help. And I really appreciate you guys taking the time to have me on. We appreciate you for jumping on. If no, you, you jumped on the podcast, we're all sitting there before we started recording and we're both wearing tank tops and you're like, oh, Sorry, I didn't get the memo that we're supposed to wear a tank top on this podcast. Yes, yeah, so I ripped my shirt uh, off. I've been wearing, I haven't been wearing a shirt this whole time, so it's great. There you go. That's what we should call. It. We should call it uh, two tank tops and a guest. That's a, that's the a new name of the podcast. <laughs> it's hot. It's hot here in Ontario. It's, it's it is. I'm not it's, used it's to this humidity on the East Coast. Yeah, sun's yeah. out, comes out. I get it. I hope you guys have a ton of success, and I look forward to staying in touch. We appreciate you for jumping on and listen to all of our listeners here. We do want to again thank our special guest, the head coach and president of Hockey Operations of the Nalls Northeast Generals, Brian Erickson, for taking the time to jump on to the podcast today and talk with us. So thank you for jumping on. Thanks, fellas. All right. And thank you all listeners for uh, listening. And again, let us know what you think. Uh, reach out to us on Twitter. But until then, this is Chris and Sebastian of Pigeon Hockey. Thanks for listening. And we'll catch you next time.